Good morning, everyone. We're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 1, on page 236 of the Pew Bible. David again spares Saul's life. The Zippites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 select Israelite troops to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakalah, facing Jeshimon, but David stayed in the wilderness. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had lain down. Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zeruah, Job's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul, lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. They were all sleeping because the Lord had put them into a deep sleep. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill, some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord the king? Someone came to destroy your lord the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the Lord lives, you and your men must die, because you did not guard your master, the Lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and water jug that were near his head? Saul recognised David's voice and said, Is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, Yes, it is my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done? And what wrong am I guilty of? Now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. 
If the Lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, people have done it, may they be cursed before the Lord. They have driven me today from my share in the Lord's inheritance and have said, go serve other gods. Now do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David, my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, you may, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, David my son. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way and Saul returned home. Let's pray together uh, again before we open this word. Lord, we're praying that as we open this word that you would be opening our eyes and our ears uh, and that you would be opening this word to us. Uh, Lord, we absolutely need you. Uh, to open our ears and our eyes because otherwise we're totally deaf to things from heaven. So asking Lord to do uh, your gracious work through this word we pray in Jesus name. Amen. What I would uh, like to do this morning is to place two stories from David's life, uh, from Samuel chapter 25 uh, and Samuel chapter 26 that Reuben's just read for us. And I'd like to place them side by side and put a third one with them, actually. Um, and that's what uh, I'd like us to look at uh, this morning. You'll remember that David has been chosen by God and he has been anointed by Samuel, uh, by uh, the Samuel the prophet Samuel, to be king over Israel. But the current reigning king, Saul, uh, is filled with jealousy and hatred towards David and has one thing on his mind and one thing only, and that is to kill, to kill David. So Saul has mastered a large army and is hunting David down in the wilderness where David's been hiding. The first story uh, that I'd like us to think about is actually in 1 Samuel chapter 5 before we come to 1 Samuel, Samuel, chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 26 that Reuben has uh, read for us. 1 Samuel chapter 25 is about a rich man named Nabal and his wife Abigail. 
And um, let's, I'm just going to tell you this story. Now, Samuel, who, who's, this whole book is named after, it says in, that Samuel died. It's pretty significant. The prophet, the kingmaker and the kingbreaker, he's died. And the whole of Israel assembled to mourn for him and they buried him. And then we learn that a certain man um, in Moan who had lots of property at Carmel, he had, his name was Nabal, and he had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep. Very, very wealthy man. He had a wife and her name was Abigail. The scriptures say that she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But the husband, Nabal, he was surly and mean in his dealings. Now, David is in the wilderness. And remember, he is a fugitive. He's being hunted down. But he's got no really real provisions of his own. But he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. And so he sent David sent 10 of his young men to Nabal and he said, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name and say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household. Now, I hear that uh, it's sheep shearing time and Nabal, remember that when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. The whole time they were at Carmel, we, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants and they will tell you, and therefore, please be favourable to my men. Since we come at a festive time, we are asking that you would please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. And so he's sending ten men to Nabal and saying, would you give us something? We we protected your servants when they were with us and nothing was missing and Instead of Nabal thinking, oh, wow, this is an opportunity for me to use my wealth uh, for the blessing of the future king of Israel, this is what we read. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal the message in David's name and they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? And whose son? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and meat that I have slaughtered for my servants and give it to men coming from who knows where? I'm not going to give my, my, my wealth to a runaway slave. David's men turned around and they went back. They reported every word to David. And David said to his men, each one of you strap on your sword. And so they did. And David strapped on his as well. And about 400 men went up with David, with 200 stayed behind uh, with the supplies. David was on his way. Strapped his sword on. But then, one of the servants of Nabal goes to Nabal's wife, Abigail. And says, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master greetings, but he hurled insults at them 
Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us the whole time we were out in the fields near them. Nothing was missing. Night and day, they were like a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep. Now think it over, Abigail, and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and our whole household and no one can talk to him. And so Abigail acts quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seers of roasted grain, a hundred cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on the donkeys. And she told her servants, go ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell Nabal. As she came riding on her donkey into the mountain ravine, so now picture this, she's on a donkey, she's coming down into a mountain ravine And there were David and his men descending towards her and she met them. David had just said, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all that belonged to him. When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground and she fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as as for me, your servant, I did not see your men my Lord. And now my Lord is surely as the Lord your God lives and you live since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. And then she says, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. The life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundles of the living of the Lord my God, but your enemies he will hurl away. And then Abigail says to him, when the Lord has fulfilled my Lord every good thing he has promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. So do you see what Abigail's saying to David? You don't want to have blood guilt on your hands, David. You don't want this burden of having slaughtered these people. And David says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself on my, by my own hands. David says, I'm thankful for, to God that God has sent you, Abigail, and stopped me. It says later that When Abigail went back to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king and he was in high spirits and very drunk. 
And so she did not tell him anything about what had happened until break, daybreak. And then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. And ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David had heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the God who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. And then we read that Abigail herself becomes one of David's wives. So think with me now about this story of Nabal and Abigail. David in the wilderness, needing provision, sends to Nabal and says, is there anything that you can give me? And Nabal just hurls insults back at him and says, you're just a runaway slave. You're on the run from the king. You're a runaway slave. Go away. And so David is so full of anger, he decides to take matters into his own hands. He will avenge himself. <laughs> I'm going to do something about this. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to restore my name. <laughs> He's rubbed my name into that. I will restore my name and I will get the provisions that I need for my purpose. And then we come across this amazing woman, Abigail. She amazes me. She heads out to meet David. Here she is, this woman. Heads out to meet David with 400 men with their swords strapped on and here she is in the wilderness with no protection and no provision and she basically disarms him single-handedly. This woman. She stops David from sinning, from shedding blood, that would have stained his whole life and his whole kingship. This amazing woman, Abigail. How did she do this? She became vulnerable in the face of death. She faced 400 men with their sword straps on, faced, faced, faced them out there. She asked for forgiveness. But do you know what else she did? She reminded David of the promise. You will be king. You will be king. There's no need to take matters into your own hands, David. God's got that under control. Remember, you're going to be king. That's the story of Nabal and Abigail. Now I'd like to place that story side by side with the story that we had read to us from the desert of Ziph. I'm just going to rehearse it with you in your in our minds now. Do you remember that Saul is 
running now, he's, he's, he's massing his army now, 3,000 crack troops, and he's camped, ready to pursue, to pursue David. And David sets out and he goes to the camp and he sees, he sees Saul. And he says, who will go down with me to the camp of Saul? And Abishai says, I will go with you. So now here they are, David and Abishai. I doubt that they took a sword or a shield or anything with them because what was that going to do? And here they are in the dead of night creeping right into the middle of the camp and they find Saul lying in with all the troops, 3,000 troops around, right in the middle, his Saul asleep with his spear stuck in his, beside his head and his water jug. And Abishai says to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't, it won't take me to. I'll just pin him to the, look, David has given him, God has given this, your enemy into your hands, David. If you were in his place, he would just smash you straight away. Now God has obviously given you Dave, uh, Saul into your hands. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die and go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now let's get the spear and the water jug that are near his head and let's go. And of course, he sneaks out with a spear in the water jug and calls out to Abner, who is supposed to be the commander of the army to protect David. Sit, Abner, can you, what are you doing? Aren't you supposed to be protecting the king? And you should die. You haven't protected your, the Lord's anointed. And Saul recognises David's voice and says, Is that your voice, David, my son? David says, Why are you pursuing me? I could have killed you. Someone st- I, You think I've got evil in my heart again? I could have killed you like that. Why are you pursuing me? Saul says, I've sinned. Come back, David, my son. Because you considered my life more precious today, I will not try and harm you again. Surely I've acted like a fool and have been terribly wrong. And they go their ways. So we have seen two stories and I want to actually add a third one and think hard with you about them. Because last week, there there was a story as well. And I think each one of these stories represents three temptations 
that David experienced in the wilderness. Here is David in the wilderness, and last week we find David's in the cave, I know, and he's hiding with his men in the back of the cave, and Saul comes into the cave, and these men say, now kill him, (laughs) now's your opportunity to kill the king. And David creeps up and cuts up a tiny little bit off his robe, and doesn't kill. Do you know, if he, if he had of killed the king, his, David's suffering would have stopped, and he would have got the kingdom, and it would have been the easy way to get the kingdom. But if he had have grabbed the kingdom, then he would have been grabbing the kingdom with his own hands. But instead, David says, I'm not going to trust my hands to grab the kingdom. I'm going to trust the promise of God. I'm going to trust the promise. I could grab it with my own hands, but I'm not. I'm going to trust the promise of God. And now we talk about Nabal and the Abigail story. At that moment, David was going to take things into his own hands. He was going to accomplish a, a, a name for himself with his own hands. He was going to restore his own name and get his own provisions with his own hands. But only because of Abigail, and he remembered the promise, that he didn't take matters into his own hands. And now a third one. A third temptation to take matters into his own hands. <laughs> Here he is. He walks into the camp. And Saul is there and the spear is there. And Abishai says, surely, surely today is the day that God has given. If you didn't get it last time, God has set it up for you again. Surely you can see that today is the day. I'll, I'll, I'll put my spear straight through him. It won't take me two, two, two times. Grab it with your own hands, David. Stop the suffering. Get what you want now. But instead, amazingly, David says no. I won't touch the God's anointed and I'm not grabbing for myself what God has promised for me. I will trust. I will trust the promise. Now listen. When there is something three times in the Bible in a row like that, the Lord is very, very keen for us to get it into our heads. What is the way of the kingdom? What is the way of the kingdom? The way of the kingdom is to trust the promise and not take matters into our own hands. We must trust the promise and not take things into our own hands. Think about Jesus. Maybe already you have put together that when Jesus came, who is a thousand years later the true anointed king, And Jesus also had forces against him, tracking him down, wanting to destroy him. And Jesus also had three temptations in the wilderness. Satan comes to him and says, make the stone into bread, throw yourself down. And the very last temptation, Satan says, now all you've got to do, just worship me. Just a little thing. Just worship me, Jesus. And all these kingdoms, they've been given to me and I'll give them to you. It's the easy way. It's instant gratification. Don't you think that's an easier way, Jesus, than going to the cross? But Jesus says, 
Go away, Satan. And Jesus says, I'm choosing the suffering. And he went to the cross believing the promise of God. Do you remember what it says in Hebrews chapter 12? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What does that mean? He he had a promise in his heart that the kingdom was going to be his and that he was going to go through this horrible, wicked cross. And it was for the joy that was deep in his heart that he was going to go. he's, he's, He's going to go straight through it for the joy. He believed the promise. He didn't grab it. He didn't grab it with his own hands. Do you know, often it's said that God helps those who help themselves. If you mean by that, when you say that, that David should have helped himself to the kingdom and driven his, the sword through, the spear through Saul's heart, then you're crazy. This is the way of the kingdom for us too. Do you remember Jesus says, for whoever will save his life will lose it and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Whoever saves their life, whoever grabs hold of their own life, whoever just says, I'm going to grab what I want and I'll grab it now. You're going to lose it. You will lose it. It will go through your fingers. You'll have nothing. Whoever wants to save their life, they're going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake We'll find it. Do you know there's all sorts of ways that this can work in our own lives? Think of pornography. I will get what I want now. I I, I don't, don't care if it messes up God's plans. I will click on this mouse button and I will get what I want. It's easy. I'll get it by my own hand. I want it now and I will, I'm not going to wait. But we are called to trust a promise that God will provide. To provide us with all the pleasures of glory by his own hand. Or think of the addict. I want it now and I will have it now and I will grab it now and and I've got every reason why and I'm not going to wait. I will not wait. I don't trust that, that the promise will come. Or think of wealth and money. We're a very rich nation. We say, I need to be building up my kingdom of wealth, my houses, my cars, my properties. I need to accumulate them. I need, I'm gonna, I will build my kingdom and I will grab it with my own hands and I will become a workaholic because I want my, my kingdom now. I will have my wealth. Or maybe on payday, you're so excited and you blow it straight away because you want it now. But all this is trying to get our deepest satisfaction of our heart, deepest satisfaction of our lives from the world now. Just grabbing it now. I will have it now. But the Lord is saying that that's not how the blessings of the kingdom flow. 
they flow from believing the promise of God and having joy in the waiting because the promise is good and going through the suffering. So I've got one last question to ask you and that is what promise, this is my question, what promise can I trust, can you and I trust that will sustain us and give us the kingdom? Big question. What promise can you and I trust that will give us the kingdom? Because do you remember Jesus actually says to his disciples, do not fear, little flock. It's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give us the kingdom. What, what promise can you trust for the kingdom to flow to you. And I want to answer that question by finding the answer embedded in the text here. Do you remember the last story where David comes to the camp where Saul is and and the 3,000 men around him? But there's something very different this time. David has been running for his life up till this point. They've been chasing him. He's been running for his life. But there's something very different this time. Because instead of David running, David goes to the camp. And he walks into the camp. Not only into the camp, but he walks right into the centre of the camp. What does this camp represent? These 3,000 soldiers where the king has got one purpose and one purpose only and that is the death of David. That's what it's there for. That's why it's camped there. That's why it's been amassed there. Is this camp represents David's death. It's the death of David. Now David walks straight into this camp, right into the middle of the camp, the camp that has every intention to kill him. And the reason I don't think he took any sword or spear or anything with him is because what, what's gonna, what that's gonna do with 3,000 soldiers around you if they discover you? He goes right into the middle of the camp. And he does not kill Saul, but what he does is that he, that spear that was supposed to go, that was was designed to go through David's heart and kill him, he takes it away. And and the jug of water that, that represents Saul's life, he takes it away and he takes it out. He's taking the death away, do you see? The symbol, that, that thing that symbolizes his own death, he, he's taking it away. Now, please. Death is the most terrible enemy of the human race. The whole human race. It's, the death is our enemy. I did a funeral on Friday. We are being mowed down by death. I often think of a mower just mowing down grass and not one blade stands. That's because death is our enemy. It's the enemy of the human race. But a thousand years later, after David was born, the true anointed king came. And what does he do? He walks 
right into the centre of the camp of death. Every single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, what is Jesus doing? He's walking straight to death, straight to the cross, straight to where he will be destroyed, straight to the greatest enemy of all, and he walks right into the middle of it. That's what every gospel, every single one. He walks into the jaws of death and he grabs the spear in his side, so to speak. He's so vulnerable to death, Jesus, that he actually, he takes the death. He takes, he steals away the sting of death. Where is your sting, death? Where is your victory? Because Jesus has gone right into the camp for every single one of us. Look, we are aging. I'm aging. My body is, one day my funeral will happen. But that's, there is a victory. Please. There is a victory that Christ has won because he has gone to the cross and he's stolen away the sting of death. And and you, are, I'm just saying to you, we are to be a people that are to receive the kingdom, the promises of the kingdom, by believing the promise, the promise of life that God has given to us in Christ. Do you want to know how to go through this pain-filled world, through suffering and difficulty and hardship? Then this is what God is saying to us. We need to believe the promise. Yes, it's hard, but there is a joy set before us. To trust the promise of Christ. He will be with you. He will not abandon you. Every kind of difficulty will not be anything compared to the victory that Christ has won. Because you're on your way. The kingdom will be yours. You'll be in glory. And so as we travel through this world... We travel as those who believe the promise. We don't hold on to all the things of this world and say that that's where my satisfaction has got to be. Our satisfaction is in Christ. Jesus says, come to me. All you are, uh, uh, if you're hungry, come to me and I will satisfy your hunger. If you're thirsty, come to me and I'll satisfy your thirst. Our whole lives. And if we try to drag on to satisfaction and joy in this life and grab it with our hands, it'll flip, we'll have nothing. We'll have nothing. I'm just calling us afresh to believe the promise. To believe the promise that God is offering to us in Christ. He will not drop you. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He is great shepherd over you. Trust him, trust him, and you'll receive such riches in him. Lord, please would you somehow uh, take this message that's repeated three times over in the scriptures uh, and bring the truth of it. Uh, into our hearts and heads, Lord, that we would be changed and we would be transformed by the way we live, in the way we live, Lord, please.
In Jesus' name, amen.